Let's start our Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. <clears throat> Amen. You know, some of the best songs with the best messages are just the simple ones. It matters to the master. Isn't that a good reminder? If you don't remember all the lyrics of the song, you'll remember it matters to the master. And then God's been good and uh, makes us wonder wonder why we waited so long to be saved. We wonder why we whine and complain so much when God has been so good to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now we are, this morning, I'm going to encourage you to buckle up. We're going to move very quickly. Uh, we're going to look at the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But our focus is going to be at the end. And so I'm going to try to outline a little bit for you, and then we'll get you to the end, uh, just so that we have the context and the understanding of what's going on. Our theme for this year comes from verse 31. And so that's what we'll read this morning. Our theme for this year is do all to the glory of God. Now, you may have seen on the front of your bulletin cover, that's what uh, is printed there, our theme for the year. If you go to our YouTube channel or anything, this graphic that Austin has made will be on our YouTube channel across the board. And uh, so that's, that's our theme, and I think it's a good one to guide us in our lives, do all to the glory of God. And I've titled the message this morning, Resolution, Do All to the Glory of God. And uh, last week was also a resolution. That wasn't my plan necessarily to do resolutions for the month, but as I was studying this message, the Lord laid it upon my heart that this would be something we should resolve in our hearts, to do all to the glory of God. But that shouldn't be a New Year's resolution. That should be forever. We should always seek to do all to the glory of God. And so let's look at this passage this morning and understand, um, as, the more I studied 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the more I understood that it becomes a guiding principle in our life when Paul starts throwing out all these rules, all these things that are going on, situational type things. And uh, he's talking about meat being sold in the shambles or in the meat market. And what should we do when we go into somebody's house and we don't know what it is? Should we eat it? And, and if we find out we do know what it is, it's meat offered to idols, should we eat that? And, and uh, all these situational type things that we are confronted with. How, how many of you are confronted with a new situation every single day? And you have to look at it and say, I wonder what the Bible says about this. Well, that's why we live our lives by principle as well. And if we have the principle, do all to the glory of God, firmly entrenched in our hearts, it makes it a lot easier to say, now, will this bring God glory in my life? If, if we're not sure, then just stay away from it. If we know for a fact that it's okay, God's all right with it, and it's one of those things that, that may not uh, cause the angels to sing around the throne of God, but it's not going to hurt our spiritual walk, and uh, it's not going to harm our testimony for the Lord, then fine. But our guiding principle in this life is to do all to the glory of God. And so let's look this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and read verse 31 with me. Let's, let's do this. Let's um, read it all together out loud, all right? We're going to do that uh, if this is going to be our verse for the year and something that we want to refer back to from time to time and remind us every week on the bulletin and such. Let's, let's get to know this verse. Let me encourage you to memorize this verse. You've already memorized half, right? Do all to the glory of God. How many of you already got that memorized? Nobody? Okay, four or five. Good. A few have. That's pretty simple. Do all to the glory of God. Now you've got to memorize the reference. That's the hard part. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. But let's read it all together. Verse 31. Here we go. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, 
do all to the glory of God. All right, let's try it again. This time a little louder. I couldn't hear anybody but me. And I don't like the echo chamber. Let's try it again. Verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this principle that you lay before us. Lord, we all kind of know it. We know in our lives that we are to live for your glory. We are to be living sacrifices. We exist, Lord, as children of God, with your Holy Spirit within us, to to shine forth the light of the gospel, to shine forth the glory of God. Lord, we know that there are times in our lives where our testimony suffers and we are not showing forth the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that you just help us, Lord, to be those vessels that you can work through and use, and Lord, that we would make good, solid Bible decisions that would help us manifest your glory in our lives. And Lord, I know you want to use us. We just have to be prepared, fit for the master's use. And so, Lord, bless the time in your word today. Help us as we move quickly through the scriptures. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing, of course, to the church at Corinth. And as he begins in verse chapter 10, he reminds them of some principles. And he's saying this for the children of Israel. And later on, he will draw it into the local church. He'll help us understand that we are much the same. But we see, first of all, he says, you've all had a similar experience. You've all had a similar experience. Notice what he says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. But with many of them... God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So the apostle is reminding the church of this similar experience. You've all come from the same place. Now, over the many thousands of years that have passed from the time of the Exodus now to the time of Christ and now into the early church age, some 60 years probably removed from the time of Christ, Paul is saying you've all started in the same place. You may have gone in different directions and you may have a a different heritage in your immediate family, but if we look back into the word of God, we find that all of our fathers came through the same cloud, were led by the same cloud. They came through the same sea. They, They were, he's talking about the Exodus and how they were delivered. But not only that, he says, you did eat all the same spiritual meat. He says, you drank from that rock and that rock was Christ. And so he's saying you've all been nurtured and fed the same. And so as we think about this similar experience, we notice that they experienced the same things. They experienced the same things and they were exposed to the same teaching. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have observed from time to time a family that five, six, seven children, or how many of the children they have, that some of them exposed to the same lifestyle, brought up the same way, go to the same church, receive the same teaching, and yet there's always one or two maybe that have gone a different direction. Maybe they're going to a different type of church or maybe they've uh, kind of forsaken church altogether and perhaps they don't profess to know Christ. And so what, what the apostle is saying is we understand that these things happen, but we all had the similar experience. Now understand this, I believe that we're all going to be accountable for that similar experience. For those that have gone astray, maybe somebody's tuning in today that has not been in church in a while. Perhaps somebody's here today that's gone away from the Lord. And and though you're in church, your walk is not what it should be. Let me remind you, you will stand accountable because you've received the similar teaching and, and a similar experience that other believers have had. 
And so we will be accountable. Here's what the Bible says about that. To whom much is given, much is required. And so Paul is reminding them of a similar experience. Look down to verse 6 now. Not only is it a similar experience, we see a sad example. A sad example. Or sorry, let me finish up. I'm sorry. Let me look at verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. What was the difference with those? Not all of them, but many of them, God was not well pleased. Here's what I know from Hebrews chapter 11. What is pleasing to God is faith. I don't think God has used these words or the Holy Spirit has inspired the Apostle Paul by accident here. And when he's saying God is not well pleased, it's because they did not have faith. They followed, they obeyed, they followed Moses' leadership, they walked through the water, they saw the wonderful works of God, yet was not mixed in their hearts with faith. And so ultimately they did not believe. So we see a a similar experience, but now we see a sad example, verse 6. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And so these many that departed from this teaching that they'd received and this experience that they had gone through all together, the ones that had departed now become examples. Now there are good examples and there are bad examples. And these were bad examples. But with many of them, are certain. now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after, after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come now I'm, I'm going to summarize these things we don't have time to go through all of it because we want to get to the message we're just in the introduction right now so hold on notice first of all they had a problem with desires a problem with their desires look at verse six now these things were our examples intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've learned this in my life when it comes to a physical appetite. And by the way, God often compares in the word of God our spiritual appetite with our physical appetite so that we have understanding. Now, I've learned this about physical appetite. If I am eating junk food and cheeseburgers and things like that all the time, I start to crave those things. That's, that's what I want. If I, my wife says, what do you want to eat? I'll say, I want a cheeseburger, a greasy cheeseburger with lots of onions and all kinds of things. I mean, it'll keep people away from me for three days. I want that. But I also know that if I'm eating healthier things, some salad and fruits and vegetables and things like that, it's not long and my body starts craving those things. You ask my wife, if I have a snack right now in the evening, what do I get? I'll get some nuts or I'll get some yogurt with fruit in it. And that's, that's my snack now. And that's what I crave. That's what I desire because our appetites can be controlled. The Bible says this, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So we exercise our appetites and the more that we desire and the more that we crave spiritual things, God increases that desire in our lives. But the Bible says they had a problem with their desires and they were craving and lusting after evil things. Now look at verse seven. We see they also had a problem with deity. They had a problem with God. Neither be ye idolaters, 
As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for our ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And we see this problem with deity leads to a wrong authority in our lives. A wrong authority. How many of you know that you always have authority in your life? Young people, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I don't care if you are 18 years old. You're still accountable. You're still accountable. Folks here that are 80 years old are still accountable. They answer to their spouse back and forth. They don't just leave the house without saying to somebody where they're going. They, they let them know they're considerate of others. They're accountable to others. We're accountable to God. And one day we'll give account of our lives unto God. We stand before him. And the Bible says that these people decided to take up idolatry. And so they had the wrong authority in our life. And notice what it does. Three things that it causes us to do when we have the wrong authority in our lives. Listen, I don't know what your idol is in this life. If you have an idol, something that you've put before God, it's going to lead you in the wrong direction. And notice what this wrong authority caused them to do. Number one... It caused them to pursue carnality. To pursue carnality. Verse 8. It says, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. They decided to please the flesh. That comes from Numbers chapter 25. They decided to please the flesh. The Bible says that the people went over and they took of them wives of whoredoms and those wives turned their hearts against God and they began to serve those false gods of Balaam. And God finally consumed over 23,000 people in a day. It causes us to go after carnality. A problem with the wrong authority, secondly, also causes us to prove Christ. Look at verse 9. It says, neither let us tempt Christ. That word tempt means to prove or to make somebody prove. Christ, I'll believe you if you prove it to me. Tempt me. We're not to tempt the Lord our God. God has been so good to us as we just heard saying, and we understand that he cares about our deepest needs. And if we are honest with ourselves, each one of us know that God has taken up residence in our lives if you're a child of God today. And the Holy Spirit of God has been tender and real to you in those moments that you need him most. And he's empowered you to go out and, and, and live a life that is glorifying to him. But when we have the wrong authority in our lives, it'll cause us to prove him, to test him, to tempt him. And then it also causes us to pass over contentment. Notice what he says in verse 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Do you know why we murmur and complain? Because we're not content. I, I, I hate to live that life, and I've got to be honest with you, it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? We get so upset about little things and you know, I, I said to somebody at Christmas time, I said, I went into the store. What a mistake. I said, I mean, good night. They'll run you over for the newest doll that's out. They don't care. There's no Christmas spirit there. They'll, they'll take, and I, I don't even want the doll. I'm not even looking for a doll. I don't have any little kids anymore. And yet, yet the, that shopping cart come down, take your ankles out because they want to get save 33 cents on an apple. I mean, come on. We lose our testimony and I know I came out of there and I started complaining to my wife, murmuring, oh, rah, 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 rah. I know I've said this, the people, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you had Chick-fil-A? A few of you? The people that run Chick-fil-A ought to run the world. 
Have you ever noticed that? They are out there in freezing cold or steaming hot weather with an iPad, and they're taking your order 15 minutes before you get to the window, and they can put 100 cars through there in 20 minutes. I mean, they are so efficient. They are everything. And then they say, say, you ask for anything? They said, be my pleasure. I think, man, they ought to run the world. But we murmur about when we don't get service like that. We complain about a lot of little things. That happens when we have the wrong authority in our lives. One of the authorities we put in our lives is our own flesh. And if it doesn't please me, I'm not going to be happy about it. That's not how I would do it. That's not how I would lead. That's not how I would teach that. That's not how I I would do any of that stuff. And, And it's carnal. And it's because we've put the wrong authority in our lives. Notice what else he says. Not only do we see when they have a problem with deity, there's a wrong authority, but he gives them a written admonition in verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world has come. He says judgment's coming. Judgment has come on those that have died. The Bible says when that judgment took place, it is given unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. They met their God, and they had to answer for those things that were done in their bodies. And their answer was not satisfying to a holy God for the... The Apostle Paul tells us later that they had sinned. They had the wrong authority, and they're admonished for it. But I want you to notice in verse 12, we see a scriptural escape. A scriptural escape. Now, as we're going through the passage, and again, I'm just in introduction, and I promise I will not preach long, I promise you that. But when we get to the the message, you're going to notice that all these admonitions start piling up. Stay away from fornication, stay away from idolatry. We're already seeing those things, aren't we? Well, we're seeing them just pile up, all these rules and all these things. You say, well, I thought, I thought religion was about rules. I thought about faith in Christ was about liberty. Absolutely, but liberty has its boundaries. We are in Christ. We are still in something, and we have to bring glory to him, and that ought to be the mode of our lives. So we're going to show you how all this works. Look at scriptural escape, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. Now, understand what's going on here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he can picture in his mind as the pastor gets up and he's reading this letter to the church and saying, the Apostle Paul has written us a letter, and we're going to read it this Sunday. This will be our morning message and a lot of of chapters here. And Paul is going to share them, and, and he can picture in his mind, people are going, oh, man, I'm so glad that I'm not like those people he's talking about. I'm not like the fornicators. I'm not like the idolaters. I'm not like the murmurers. I'm not like that. And then Paul says, be careful. Be careful when you think you stand. Take heed lest ye fall. Take heed lest ye fall. Verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my delivered beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Notice some things we see in this passage very quickly. Number one, we see a common error in verse 12. A common error. Be careful when you think you stand. Be careful when you think you're better than, be careful when you think you've got your life under control. Verse 13, he tells us why. Because this temptation is common to man. This, common, this temptation has touched 
throughout the centuries. Like, listen, the Bible says a couple things about this. There's nothing new under the sun. The devil has no new tricks up his sleeve. And so he just keeps bombarding you with the same thing. Boy, if I can get that church member to start complaining... If I can get that man that not satisfied with his family and his wife, I can get this, this guy over here not happy with his wages and murmuring about his boss. If I can get somebody to think that their God can be themselves, and they go after the flesh of idolatry, then I can close that church down. I can destroy that man's walk with God. I can take away that woman's part in the church. And so he's warning them over and over. He says, take heed. That's a common error, the error of pride. But then we see also a common excuse in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. He said, how is that an excuse? Because here's what we say. Well, everybody's doing it. It's common to man. Well, what, what could possibly be wrong? I have observed this. In the short time I've been alive, that if we are entertaining something today and talking about it, 10 years from now, it'll pass as law and you'll be wrong if you think it's wrong. Think, think about it. I remember years ago talking about homosexual unions and gay marriage. Oh, that'll, that'll never come to pass. We're in Canada. We're a conservative nation. We're a God-fearing nation. We're a Christian nation. Ten years. It came to pass. And now, and now, you're an intolerant bigot if you believe in the Bible view of marriage. Isn't that what we see over and over and over and over and over again? Some of the things we never thought would come to pass, they're right at our doorstep. And mark my words, if the parliament's willing to speak about it today and they have the courage to stand up to get a man, a woman to stand up in parliament and say, I think we need just the laws to do this 10 years from now, it will be law and you'll be wrong if you say anything about it. Humanly speaking. Listen, that's what happens when we deny the authority of God's word. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's where all this is headed. So Paul just keeps laying on the rules. He says, don't use this common excuse. But then we see in verse 13, part B, we have a Christ-centered escape. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. Listen to this. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And notice what Paul is doing. He's saying early on in this chapter that, that everybody came through the water and all of our fathers, uh, they followed the same cloud and the fire by night and, and they all obeyed Moses and they were subject to the same teaching. And now he's saying, hey, aren't we under the same communion now? Don't we take the same blood of Christ? Don't we take the bread of his suffering, his body? And so he's drawing the comparison to the church. He's saying we are in the same, same today we have the same communion in the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Verse 18, behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? 
What say I then, that that idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with the devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be the partaker of the Lord's table and, of the, and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, our time is fleeting, so let me give you a couple things right here when we talk about a Christ-centered escape. Number one, we are to focus on that which helps us spiritually. Let me recap some of that so we don't, we don't get lost. It's a lot of verses here, I know, but I'm trying to give you context for when we get to the message, all right? Focus on that which helps us spiritually. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. He says, come together in unity around the things of Christ. I, th I think it's important. I I'm just going to say this. I think it's really important that we're in church. I think it's important. I think it's important that we're in church as much as we possibly can. I think it's important beyond church that we come to our connection groups, our Sunday school classes. Your connection group is that place where you'll have a Sunday school class on Sunday. You'll have an activity maybe on a Friday. You'll get together in fellowship with others in different times throughout the year. I think it's important that we connect because the Bible says fellowship is so important. And we commune with one another around the things of Christ. So, so we need to be doing those things which help us spiritually. And then secondly, we need to flee from that which hinders us spiritually. Notice what he says in verse 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are they not they which partake, sacrifice? <laughs> Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, and not to God. And I would not that she should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He said, well, there it is. We should not eat meat offered to idols. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, what is the purpose behind it? The Gentiles, when they offer a sacrifice to an idol, they are worshiping devils and having fellowship with devils. And we're not to have fellowship with that. And so he will clarify his statement in a moment. We have to be careful how we do it. And here's where more of the rules come in. And so follow with me, but just flee from those things which hinder us spiritually. If my heart and my conscience is defiled by eating meat offered to idols, I ought not do it. I not ought not offend somebody else in the same manner if their conscience is defiled or weakened as a result. And we're going to see that in the next passage. So we're talking about a scriptural escape and then we're to focus on that which hinders us spiritually. But notice, fourthly, a self-examination. And here's where we'll spend a little time. A self-examination is necessary. Verse 23, Paul the Apostle says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So he's saying, can I eat that meat offered idol? He says, an idol is not anything. It's nothing. But to the Gentiles, they are offering to a devil, to a false god. And I ought not get involved in that with them. But if I have some meat at home that nobody knows about, that I don't know about myself, and I'm not eating it, it's just meat. And I've received it with thanksgiving. 
We'll see that later on. But notice verse 23 and 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And so here's where we are. First of all, some principles. Some principles. And we have to learn how to live by principle, okay? Because if we're not living by principle, then we're living by commandment. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we ought to keep the commandments. How many of you know all the commandments? We don't. And you say, well, there's 10 commandments. There's not 10 commandments. Read your Bible. Those tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain, they didn't have 10. They had hundreds. Read. It doesn't stop at Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. It just keeps going and going for pages and pages and pages what God put on those tablets. Several chapters. We always call the Ten Commandments because we can only remember ten. That's, that's what we like to inscribe and put on a courthouse somewhere. That's what we like to put in the front of our Bible. But there's lots of commandments. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds. And, 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 but, so then we need to learn how to live by principle. What brings glory to God? Notice, first of all, the first principle is this. Is it expedient? He says, what does that mean? It means, is it profitable? Does it contribute to my life? Is it helping me? He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Also, I can eat that meat offered idols. That's not a problem. But it doesn't help me. It doesn't contribute to my life. And then he sees another one. We see the word expedient. Is it expedient? Number two, does it edify? Does it edify? All things are lawful on me, but not all things edify, he says. What does edify? It means to build up or encourage. To build up or encourage. But then there's a third one, and this is an important one that kind of weighs against the other two. Notice what he says next. And here's our third question. We're talking about principles. Is it expedient? Does it edify? Number three, does it elevate? Verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. So I have a nice stake in front of me, and I know where I bought it. I bought it in the shambles, and we're going to see that in a minute. Shambles is the meat market. And so where'd you get that? I don't know. Where'd that meat come from? I don't know. Was it offered idols? I don't know. And so I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to have a nice steak dinner. But then my wife comes in, she says, oh, where did you buy that? I bought it at the shambles. Which one? Well, the third one on the right-hand side there, the meat market there, the little booth. Oh, you know where that guy gets it? He gets it at the temple of Dagon or Astroth or Baal or whoever. And that meat was likely offered to an idol and I don't want it. Then my obligation is seek not my own, but every man seek another's wealth and I put it aside. And Paul said, I will not eat meat the rest of my life if it offends somebody. We're talking about principles here. And so when we talk about principle, we're not talking just about meat anymore, are we? We're talking about everybody else. Somebody gets in your car and you can just see they're kind of fidgeting and they're, ah, what's wrong, brother? Oh, it's just that kind of music grates on me. Sorry. I don't want to offend my brother. I don't want to offend my brother. And so we have to seek everybody else, uh, put others before ourselves. Do we seek ourselves? Or do we seek another man's wealth? So is it expedient? Does it edify? Does it elevate? Some principles. Then he gives us some pointers, verse 25. 
Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, the meat market, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So twice he says, if you bought it in the meat market and you don't know what it is, it's fine. Go ahead and eat it. If you get bidden to a feast and the person's an unbeliever and they put some meat in front of you, just eat it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's, it's all of the Lord. But look at the third thing, verse 28. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so some pointers. Number one, discern when able. Discern when able. In other words, with knowledge. When you have knowledge that something is definitely wrong, then don't do it. But have some discernment. We try to encourage young people all the time, you need to grow in your discernment. You need to get to the point where you can decide without your mom and dad what is right and what is wrong. What is going to help you spiritually, what is going to hurt you spiritually. Now, listen, not everything we do helps us spiritually, but it ought not hurt us spiritually. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not against the kids going to Wonderland and getting on a roller coaster, but it will not help you spiritually whatsoever. It doesn't do it. It'll make you sick to your stomach. But if something is hurting you spiritually, you ought to stay away from it. And so there's those things that we have to balance in our lives. So there's some principles and some pointers. So number one, discern when you're able. But number two, discontinue when you're aware. Discontinue when you're aware. In other words, if somebody comes and says, I think that's offered idols, just like the illustration I gave with my wife and I, he says, then eat it not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then we see some rhetorical questions come up as a result. Verse 29, conscience I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker... Why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? He says, why, why should I lay aside my liberty because of another man's conscience? Here's why. And here's our verse for the year, verse 31. Because whether you eat or you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It does not bring glory to offend your brother does not bring glory to cause an uproar or a scene. He said, well, I have my rights. doesn't bring glory, God glory, though. But I, I have liberty in Christ. Ask Paul about liberty. He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians. He said, I'm an ambassador in bonds for Jesus Christ. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. He said, I need to bring my body into subjection, that I myself become not a castaway. Over and over, we have our liberty, but we are to restrain our liberty, that we are not an offense to others. Be careful. So we see some principles. We see some pointers. But then we see some precepts. Verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You say, how do I keep all this straight? 
Uh, so, if, so if I get a steak and, it's, and I don't know anything about it, it's okay. If I go to a dinner and I don't know where the meat come from, it's okay. But if somebody says that's to idols, it's not okay. And, and, and I understand that he's not just talking about meat. He's talking about everything in life. How do I keep all these rules straight? Idolatry, fornication, and all that. How do I keep them all straight? Here's how. Do all to the glory of God. Now here's, what I, here's what I've come to learn. Sometimes people have a different idea of some things that bring God glory. Almost every church I've ever been to over the years will say something along the lines of this on their website or on their sign or in their bulletin or something. It'll say, Christ honoring music. And I'll get in and I'll go, oh, so Bora, I want to sleep. High organ only kind of thing, you know, just Presbyterian music. And, uh, and then I've been in other places where I go, oh boy, they're just kind of rocking out. That's not what I would do in my church. It's the other extreme. Here, here's what I've learned. I stand here, everybody to my right is ultra-conservative. Everybody to my left is a liberal. And you've got the same stand. Because we've chosen where we stand. But here's what I've learned. That everybody that says we bring glory to God in our music and we bring glory to God in our music, we can't all be right, can we? Can we? And so here's what I also know. I have to be thoroughly convinced in my own mind. I have to decide how I'm going to bring glory to God in my life with sincerity, with love for Christ, with the Holy Spirit's leading, and I have to say, Lord, teach me. If I'm too far this way, let me know. If I'm too far this way, bring me back. We have to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. And when we open up the scripture and we see a verse and go, Oh boy, I've been doing it all wrong. We have to be humble enough to back off and say, God, I want to bring you glory. That's my ultimate goal in life, to bring you glory. There have, over 27 years, there's been a lot of things that have changed in my life. Things that I used to think were right and useful, I, I've laid them aside. There's other things that I thought 27 years ago, we don't, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I won't do that, but I say, Lord, I think that's a help to somebody. That's a benefit. That's an encouragement that edifies. And so we have to balance it with what brings God glory and let every man be thoroughly convinced in his own mind. So our ultimate purpose is to bring God glory. And verse 32 gives us an underlying practice. Give None offense. Neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. You can say all you want. Well, I'm just, I'm just here to bring God glory. And what I'm doing, I, I just know for a fact I'm bringing God glory. But if you're offending people, you're not bringing God glory. You're not. Because you're saying, I care nothing about God's children. And so we have to balance it. Our ultimate purpose is to bring God glory but the underlying practice is to give no offense. Why are there times 
when we can exercise our liberty, but then there's other times we need to sacrifice it. Verse 33 tells us, and we're done. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, listen, but the profit of many that they might be saved. It seems to tell me that Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, if you can get this straightened in your head, if you can say, we're, gonna, we're, we're not a perfect church. Bethel Baptist Church is not a perfect church. The church at Corinth was a carnal church. We read in 2 Corinthians 5 about terrible sins in their church. They struggled with hoarding money and not being able to give properly, and they did all kinds of things. And Paul says, if you can get this right, if you can desire in your heart and determine in your heart, resolve in your heart that you're going to bring glory to God in everything that you do, and seek not to offend anybody, he says, here's what will happen. He says, it will be to the profit of many, and many will be saved. Isn't that ultimately what we're aiming at? To bring God glory and to see people saved. He says, how do we do it? Set in our hearts to bring glory to God, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Move upon us. Lord, may this be the theme of our hearts, not just this day, not just this year, but for the rest of our lives that we would do all to your glory. Help us sincerely, Lord, to trim back on areas that would offend. Lord, help us, Lord, to know when we need to take a step of faith and, and move further out. Lord, I just pray that you'd just help us to be right where you want us to be as a church and as children of God. Father, maybe there's one here today that doesn't know Christ, and I pray that today they might come to know him as their Savior. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Brother Cody's going to lead an invitation as we prepare for baptism today. A great message to start off the new year, to assess our, our past year and to think, what are some changes that you need to make? A Christ-centered escape. Perhaps there's somebody here today, nobody's looking around, perhaps there's somebody here today that's been struggling with the thought of being saved, being born again, being part of God's family. If that's you, would you be so uh, courageous to, to raise your hand and, and ask for prayer? If you're not saved this morning and you'd like to be saved, you'd like to get born again, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody there this morning like that? Pray for me, I need to get saved. Perhaps there are some Christians here that would say, you know what, the message really spoke to my heart. And I want to make some changes in this year, 2022, to move forward for God. Would you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, pray for me. I want to make some changes. I want to live more for God this year than I did last year. Amen. Many, many hands are going up. Do uh, business with the Lord as... Uh, we continue on in prayer during this time.